The real-life exploits of Leonidas of Sparta and his 300 warriors at Thermopylae have given rise to various myths and legends of the Spartan superhero. The supremely disciplined man of few words who had a body of steel and could endure any hardship would fight to his last breath. Today, we dive into the Spartan Empire and the legend of Leonidas. You're listening to Casual History. Yeah, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Casual History. Um, today I'm bringing in the subject, and if you don't know who Leonidas of Sparta is, you're going to after today. Oh, good. Do you know anything about <laughs> Leonidas? <laughs> of course. I saw, I know probably about an hour and a half of him. Okay. <laughs> so 300. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Y- yes. Yes, exactly. So you saw the movie? Yes. Okay. Great, fantastic movie. Did you take away anything of note? Uh, besides that, Leonidas is a badass. Um, that <laughs> not much. <laughs> such a little that. force took on such a huge army by you know pinning them into a pass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know much about the real. So Leonidas. you know the bullet points. I know. Okay. So is that real? Uh, yes and no. Uh, okay. well, we can get into it. Okay. Good. Um, but I also wanted to, again, the, this story is a really great story. And, of course, there's a reason why it became a movie. Yeah, of course. Um, and the reason why he's talked about today mm-hmm. and what they did and the accomplishment, even though they lost. You know, it's weird. Right. Um, like how they're still talked about, even though uh, they didn't <laughs> end up winning. Te- that that fight anyway. Sure. Um, but I wanted to dive into his life a bit. I wanted to dive into a bit about the Spartan Empire itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I figured a good place to start. So I have kind of his overview of kind of have a good story to go through. Um, but I do kind of want to just up front provide some facts about okay. um, the Spartan society. Yes. Um, like and, how regularly did they kick people into pits? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. These are all stuff I want to know. I've yeah. also seen the parody of it. Uh, you know the parody of the 300 movie. Yeah. That's the first thing, the images that pop in my mind is Carmen Electra as his wife. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. <laughs> the blind guy that feels her up at the end. God, there's a whole... <laughs> That's a whole other, All the uh, images stuck in my brain about Leonidas that aren't true. Right. Uh, so, yeah, if you could just clear that stuff up for me, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Well, so, again, so up the top, we're going to get through some uh, Spartan society facts and then really get into the story. Okay. Just to kind of provide some upfront, maybe, uh, I don't know. Sure. Base. <laughs> some actual um, facts on it, yes. So, Sparta consisted of three main groups. I don't know if you knew this. Um, the Spartans, who were full citizens. The Helots, or basically, who were slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Periosi who were neither slaves nor citizens. Um, their Periosi name means dwellers around. So really just uh, craftsmen, traders, the people who built weapons for the society. They kind of kept considered c- citizens. Interesting. Not, no, because the strongest and the kind of full citizens were Spartans. Ah, um, okay. And the Periosi were kind of, again, the they helped provide the society, really, like craftsmen, the um, right. merchants, those people. Um and so the Hillets, uh, whose name means captives, were fellow Greeks, um, originally from Lysonia and Messina, who had been conquered by the Spartans and turned into slaves. Okay. Um, 
and the Spartans' way of life would not have been possible basically without these people. Um, they handled all the day-to-day tasks, so unskilled labor required to keep society functioning. Mm-hmm. There were farmers, domestic servants, nurses, and military attendants. So really the backbone of their entire society. Basically. Yeah. Um, another fun little fact, not fun little fact, but just another fact <laughs> is that teenage boys, so we'll get into this with um, Leonidas and his upbringing and how they, their society was built around them being warriors. Them being warriors. Is that and, what it is? Yeah, and how, how they were, like, built this type of society. A feeling we're going to have some, like, very intense training as, like, a, a baby. A hundred percent. Like a um, toddler, they just put a knife in his hand. This is a fun f- a fact for you, is the teenage boys who demonstrated the most leadership potential um, were selected for participation in the Cryptia, which acted as a secret police force whose primary goal was to terrorize the general Helet's population and uh, really just... Keep them in line. Keep them in line. Um, And then also I want to talk about the women of Sparta. Some fun facts that I'm not really going to get to touch on in this whole story when I talk about Leonidas. Again, because it's about Leonidas and the the society of uh, their warrior world that they built. Yeah. But women of Sparta um, were really known as, so they had a reputation for being independent-minded, enjoyed freedoms and power uh, more than their counterparts in the surrounding areas Mm -hmm. um, throughout ancient Greece. And while they didn't play any role in the military, um, female Spartans often received formal education, um, separate from the boys, of course, and not at boarding schools. But that was in part to attract males. um, And females engaged in athletic competitions, uh, including javelin throwing, wrestling, and sang and danced competitively as adults. Oh, wow. Um, So Spartan women were allowed to own and manage property as well. Um, and additionally, they were typically unencumbered by domestic responsibilities such as cooking and cleaning and making clothing, um, which was all handled by the hillets. Wow. Of their society. Again, the backbone really like led to... But the fact that they're kind of pretty progressive in that point, right? At yeah. At this point in time, for sure, that's progressive. Yeah. And that in preparation for marriage, Spartan women had their heads shaved. They kept their hair short after they wed, and married couples typically lived apart um, again, we'll get into why because the uh-huh. men were. <laughs> yes, um, as See, men that's, in the thirty, that's another myth that they joke about constantly. Uh, as being a very open society. Yeah. That way. Oh well, no, not that. That's not what I'm referencing. Oh, okay. okay. I'm referencing they had to live apart because the the man's focus and the men's focus was all about being a warrior. Oh, okay. Um, and, because men under thirty were required to continue residing in communal barracks at the time. Right. Um. So in order to see their wives during this time, they would have to sneak away basically at night. Right. So that's just some upfront, okay. kind of give you some facts Interesting. there. Okay. Um, kind of let you soak that in. And then we're going to get into the story of Leonidas. So, yes. Um, are you legend. ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's go. So um, also want to say up front, when I'm talking about the years, uh, mm. this is before Christ. So again, remember, it goes uh, down, not up. Yeah. So just... Throwing yeah, that yeah, up yeah. when I no, I'm just making that known because <laughs> I'll mention dates and it's gonna it confused me the first time I was putting this together and I was like oh wait <laughs> right <laughs> now I know where I'm at yeah. yeah yeah so anyway um Leonidas was born around 540 BCE in the Greek city of Sparta um, at this time Greece was made up of hundreds of city states uh, of which Athens and Sparta were the largest mm. Leonidas's father was actually the king of Sparta. Um, and for the Greeks, warfare was the su- supreme statement of a citizen. It made a man um, and gave him the right to be a part of his city, basically. That was your right to 
Like to to be a part of Sparta, you had, you had to, to be a warrior. Had to be. Otherwise, you're not a citizen. Um, so every Greek in every city state was obligated to military service from the age of 20 until the age of 45. Oh wow! Um, in order to prepare for that life, though, young boys were put into military training camp known as the Agoge um, from the age of seven. So there was only wow. one exception to this military training that was like a general law rule was that the firstborn son of the king of each city-state, um, his upbringing would be focused on grooming him for power that he would inherit on his father's death. Right. But Leonidas, however, was the third son of his father. Um, his older half-brother, uh, Cleomans, I'm going to say okay. some of these names wrong, but Cleomans was the first in his line to be uh, the next king of Sparta. And okay. because of that, Leonidas spent the, his younger years learning how to become a Spartan warrior like the others. So right. he was treated no differently. Good. Just up front there. Very um, cool note for yeah. a king. Yeah. The third son. Um, between the age of 7 and 12, Leonidas underwent a training regimen um, along with a group of other boys. And this was all like how they built their society. Mm. So, and it was all under the supervision of what they called a warden um, who was called... Uh, 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 a nomes, paid a nomes um, okay. is the word, uh, which translates to herder of boys. Right. Kind of funny. Um, this was a highly respected Spartan drawn from the highest social class. So this this way um, they were allowed to basically have authority and the ability to punish anyone who misbehaved. Mm-hmm. So to kind of make it like, well, he's the, the one of the best of us. Yeah. He, he can punish these boys, you know, especially the third son of the king. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. So, um, and to this end, he was accompanied by a whip, a willing squad of older youths. So again, how they kept this was like the, the, the padnomes with, um, other teenage kind of Spartans, mm-hmm. um, who were able to, um, basically keep the younger boys in line when you're training. Right. So again, all in an effort to like <laughs> drive Focus. them to something. Um, and it produced effective warriors, um, and the big emphasis all along was on a rough, uh, rough and tumble lifestyle. Of course. So really, just to kind of get them prepared for right when at they the beginning that 20. like, hey, you're going to be a warrior. Yeah, you got to get used to fight. It. Yeah, and all of it like there's so many things that was done on purpose. So like the boys were divided into bands, um, and they would choose their own leader within the little groups of boys, oh. and that leader was the best fighter at the time or whoever was the best. Um, and meanwhile, the paid nomes would keep a close eye on their antics, of course, and hand out punishments to anyone who got out of line. But mainly the Spartan boys in the Agoge were not allowed to wear shoes. Um, it was Ooh. believed that leaping and jumping and running were accomplished more swiftly if you were barefoot. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, this is just one of those things. So no shoes. This hardening, hardening the body. Hardening the mind of yeah. what you're used to. Um, Pain, getting used to it, yeah. They were also only allowed one cloak for the whole year. Oh, wow. So this was designed to force them to grow accustomed to hot summers and then freezing winters. Oh. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And really just to make do with what little covering they had. Um, and then eating wasn't any better. <laughs> so the food was strictly rationed. Uh, on, and they, because they believed that a lean, hungry man fights more effectively than a fight sat, satiated one. Right. <laughs> um, also, being able to go a long time without food would make them a better prepared warrior. This is all in their belief. Sure. So that's interesting because that c- could go beyond like uh, 
they could be counterintuitive at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah. But the fact that they believed, you know, rationing it that far, mm-hmm. like could lead to them being underdeveloped. But also if you ride that fine line, yeah, well, you're he- right. Here's the thing though, too. They expected them to steal. So a footnote here was theft was always severely punished. Right. Except for stealing food. Because oh. they allowed it basically because the logic was that by learning to steal food, the boys would They're be learning. practicing the skills a foraging that would be needed on a military campaign later on. So again, these guys, wow. Everything was I built. actually really like again, <laughs> if you're just trying to solely bring people into this world that literally like their only skill is fighting and being a warrior groomed for a warrior life, their entire life. That seems pretty well, every aspect intense, of it. Every aspect, but like that's very thought through. Yeah. That they're like, that isn't punished that bad because it also teaches like they're going out and uh kind of expect they kind of expect it. Yeah. Is what I from what I took. And away they're also from all taking this. different in- initiatives like outside of this. Yeah. It's just interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's kinda pretty cool. I thought that was kind of crazy though. Yeah. Um again, every part of their life was designed to just like you said, we're doing this on purpose. Why? Mm-hmm. Because eventually you'll need this. You're we're letting you be able to steal because we kind of expect that to happen because we want you to learn how to do that. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. for later on use. That's um, them trying to survive. Everything. You know? It was crazy. Um this again all builds up to what we get to with Leonidas, but this is what he went through, right? Okay. Um to the age of twelve. So yeah, so along with their training to become warriors, the boys were also taught how to read and write. So it wasn't just hey, we're going to keep you solely focused on this. They were taught to read and write as well, like to be, yeah, multifaceted. Damn. So they so, had to go through boot camp, but also be like go through education stuff mm-hmm. too? Yeah, so the Spartans had a big reputation as men who of learn, who lear, loved to learn, basically, who loved music, poetry, and dancing. So like, this was all part of their society. It was, they didn't, it, they were focused on being warriors, of course, like that whole lifestyle is that way. Yeah for that reason but um it wasn't their sole focus like they didn't keep it didn't feel from what i read didn't keep them stifled all, like they left gave them education like love poetry love to dance like that was part of their world as well okay um hmm. which i thought was just different from my mindset me too so again so from seven to twelve so at the age of twelve it was really a watershed year in the life of a spartan um he would be now be placed in a band of about a dozen of his peers, uh, and they would live under the herdship of one drawn from his ranks, the Irene, um, which is just like the chosen, I think is what it means. Right. Um, and the, whoever was chosen was always the smartest, the most battle-ready and cunning. Um, and there was no record during this point whether Leonidas was put in this position. Right. That's but what I was about to ask. I was like, is Leonidas in this group? Well, was he one of the leaders that the the boys picked? That's, it's expected. It it's kind of assumed this okay. way. But again, you never know. Right. But it's assumed um, more, more than likely that he was um, in this position just because he was the son of the king. And, of course, given what we know about Leonidas, sure. <laughs> like that it's assumed that he was at this position from an early age doing the, like the chosen basically yes. among the bands. Um, and so if you were the chosen, basically everyone else around you, the other p- kids in the band served as kind of your servants. Um, and it was the other boys would have to give their absolute obedience to the Irene. Um, they were 
collecting firewood, fe- fetching vegetables, um, using their thieving skills to provide for the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also at the age of 12, Spartan boys were undertaken, uh, were taken under the wing of basically a mentor, uh, of an older uh, person, mm-hmm. um, like a mentor of like, really, I think just another warrior, but like, you know, like someone who's been through stuff you know yes. kind of like you're going to a job fair and you're like i don't what's well, that job fair but <laughs> i know what some, you mean some uh some someone uh, that's gonna teach them yeah uh further further to training and although uh there's another city states known that that could be a sexual relationship i just want to oh. make that yeah i just want to make that clear it's not in this in the spartan society here okay um just making that a, a point of note yeah. um because because of they put a, a note in here when i was reading through that in the Spartan society, the desire for the body of the of a boy rather than the soul of a boy was considered to be the height of shame. Uh. So again, you're there to teach the kid. You're there to help the, like the boy. You're not, yeah. yeah which is God, thought that was weird. interesting. <laughs> um, and then from this point, basically, the military training would now be stepped up as he came close to entering the military service. So once you hit eighteen, and then by the age of twenty. Uh, Leonidas at this point was an agile, battle-ready military machine <laughs> right. full of self-confidence, discipline, and a killer instinct. That's all what it was building up to. Hell yeah, man. Um, and so Leonidas had trained to be a hoplite warrior, um, or hapilite warrior. I okay. think I said that wrong. Um, these people, they were experts in using the short iron sword, a round shield, and spear. So as you mm-hmm. see them, as you kind of know when you picture it in your head. Yes, of course. Um, they would fight in a tight phalanx um, formation which they would approach the enemy with shields overhead to form a tortoise-like shell um really to in defense of oncoming arrows and yeah um, that kind of thing so so exactly what you picture from the movies basically yeah basically yeah. as you uh they did a good job i think yeah that's how they fought so if you're referencing 300 <laughs> of course i have <laughs> um so spartans but just as Leonidas was about to enter the military service, news reached him that his father, the king, had died, and his brother Cleomenes therefore inherited the throne. Right. And while one brother took to the mantle of supreme leader uh, of the city-state, the other inherited the role that he had given his entire life to, um, that of a Spartan warrior. We're talking okay. about Leonidas, of course. <laughs> now, the Spartan army, so just some context here, was divided into age groups spanning 10 years. So within these divisions, the basic grouping of men was into mess groups of about 15 men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was within these men that Leonidas lived during his 20s. Um, and also during this time that Leonidas married the daughter of his half-brother, Cleomenes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Oh. <laughs> See, One of those. Yeah, she, she was named uh, Gorge. Um, it was by all accounts basically a beautiful and politically astute woman. And after a few years, they had a son who they named Cleomobrutus. Okay. Um, just thought that was interesting. So yeah. I, if I believe so, I think it did. I can't remember if I read this, but his lineage is still living. Oh. Um, somehow related to Leonidas. That's um, really cool. But um, yeah, that was kind of how he spent his 20s. You're kind of in a rough and tumble band of, of military service a hardened machine. But which goes back to the fact I was saying, you know, how um, if you had a wife or um, a kid, you couldn't see them because you're still in until your thirties. Really, you're in the barracks, training barracks. Still, yeah, like you're not. That's kind of their that's way your entire of life. life. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this is going to be interesting here. Uh, I do want to. We're going to talk about basically um, 
Cleomenes and his older brother becoming king. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interesting story there, but um, we're going to fast forward to around 490 BCE. Um, this is when things were not going well for Leonidas' older half-brother. Over the last three years, um, Grecian city-states had one by one started succumbing to the invading Persians. Wow. Um, the basically growing, uh, basically gl- growing powers here were source source of outrage to the proud Spartan king. And in 491, he attempted to overthrow a neighboring king in another city-state, mm-hmm. part of his kind of group, um, who was about to concede to the Persians. Ah, so that so that way he'd take them over and yeah. he tried. But it caused a big uproar in the Spartan society um, because when the, the king's plans were revealed, basically the people of Sparta were not happy, and mm. he was forced to flee the city. Oh wow! Because it was kind of like you're turning on your like the your people. Own people. Yeah. But even though his idea was obviously to try to, like the Persians are culminating power by defeating these states and grouping them into their empire. Right. And so with seeing that weakness coming and knowing that the Persians were going to take this other city. Even though they were allies, he was planning on taking it, trying to culminate his power to mm-hmm. better protect them. Yeah. So the idea is solid, but yeah. So, but the fact that they are morally, the people were against it is interesting. It feels like the whole society is built on you know your pride and your kind of uh, yeah your work. You know, yeah. Even though they had slaves, I don't know. Interesting. It's it's a it's a weird uh, thing there, but society model. Yeah. Um. So, but during this point, so he again he said to flee the city. And it was then he started, He set about gathering a formidable, formidable army in the surrounding territories. Um, and then once he was doing this wisely, the Spartans, you know, the Spartans uh, allowed him to return to the uh, to Sparta, mm-hmm. but believing their king had gone insane, so they started to see him gathering an army and trying to like uh, cause a dust up. <laughs> right. Um, and the, I. I read a backstory here. This is off kind of my like linear linear story. I was talking, uh, like wanting to talk through, but I read through also where um, I'm going to get into Xerxes, who's the Persian king. Sure. But I read somewhere that a uh, Cleomenes uh, Menes might have all actually helped him initially at one point in the Persian city, help gain power over because so he was. Fun fact about Xerxes, before I get into him, he was a son and successor of Darius the Great, and his mother was Atosa, a daughter of Cyrus the Great. Um, just kind of an interesting okay. thing. But he kind of wrangled, at one point, Xerxes um, wrangled power away from his older brother. Oh, and helped him become, succeed in... Almost. I, I I don't know if it was this Cleomenes, or it was another, uh, basically, ruler, because there was a story that goes... Um, one of the Greece, Greece and city states who was going to be king, exiled king, helped basically and lived with him and persuaded the uh, the people to let Xerxes be the the king. Gotcha. Um, so I don't know if it was him, but that would have been a weird turn. Yeah, that's a fact. Someone maybe be able to who's listening might be able to correct that, or maybe they know something there because that'd be interesting to know. That would be. Um, anyway, so they thought they re- let him return, but they believed he was insane. And right. had him thrown in chains once he returned. Okay, but <laughs> so, who who uh, who happens to become the king afterwards, Jeff? Since who's next in line? This order was carried out on the directions direct directions of Leonidas to put him in chains. Oh, um, he was placed under the guard of Hillet's slave, like the slave class. Right, and and while he was imprisoned, this is kind of 
Um, he then managed to persuade one of his captors to lend him a dagger. Oh, no. Um, which apparently he committed on... So he started slicing himself into pieces from his feet upward. Oh, my God. What? Um, yeah. So, so I had think, he really gone crazy? I For real? I might have. <laughs> Holy smokes. Leonidas' judgment might be on point. Yeah, even though it looks like ulterior motives. A yeah. Bit. Um, but he, yeah, he killed himself, slicing himself up uh, into pieces. Wow. Yeah, what a way to go, right? Uh, yeah, kind of brutal. Now, we we know there's a middle brother, right? So when Right, because Leonidas is the third, right? Yeah. So when he, when Cleomenes had initially taken the throne, um, his half-brother, Dorius, who is older than Leonidas, was kind of uh, felt horrible. Like, he felt like the throne had passed him by. Mm. when his older brother took the throne. Yeah, he took offense to it. And by, he kind of found it impossible to remain in Sparta at that point. Um, and he then traveled and tried to establish a colony in Africa. Oh. But this was interesting. So he went off and did his own thing. Uh-huh. And so, again... It leaves it to, to Leonidas. But right. it wouldn't have. But when he failed to, to do this, and um, when he failed to basically establish this colony, um, he went back to Sicily, um, where he met some kind of death. It was kind of vague. I don't know if anyone knows, but he found he died. Oh. Um, so it kind of met an untimely death. Gotcha. I was about to say, I was like, then why didn't uh, that brother kind of like, you know, Lion King it and be like, hey, I'm back. Yeah, you'd think, right? You would think if Leonidas took the throne, he heard his br- first brother died, and he's like, I'm I'm in line. It's yeah. me. Yeah, you'd think, but I especially since he, he, he ran a kind of went away thinking, God, I got to go do something for my, I got to make something for myself. Yeah. He felt like it, Pass them by. Interesting. Um, it, I didn't really get any details more than that from him because, again, the other story was focused on Leonidas, but right. I thought that was an interesting thing to note. Mm-hmm. And so this leads to when the current, his older brother dies, Leonidas was next in line for the throne. Perfect. And right here is where we'll take a break <laughs> and we'll come back and get into more about Leonidas and uh, his great incredible story <laughs> story awesome i'm <laughs> right. excited all right so it's my podcast about leonidas thank you for being back um okay <laughs> <laughs> we're back from break jeffrey was just about to tell me uh the real crazy story about leonidas right yeah we're gonna get into now that he's taking the throne Perfect. I do want to mention, as we always do, thank you for listening to that ad. If there was an ad in that yeah, break, thank you. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it means a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> why, why are you pointing at me now? I was just trying to take over for a second, you know. Yeah, that's what I was, I was trying, to let, trying to let you take that. That just role hand there. me the laptop. <laughs> I should have just started opening up like uh, the next segment, which is me reading off notes like I'm you. I mean, hey, it would probably work. It, it, it could work. You could probably read these notes. I wrote it like I, I'd speak it. So okay, perfect. Yeah. Then all I have to do is steal your words. <laughs> yeah. All right. What well, are we gonna say? so let's get back into it. So he just took the throne. Okay. He's officially king of the Sparta. King. He's and a warrior so, and a king. Exactly. He's a warrior and a king, which is an important fact. He yeah. wouldn't have been a warrior if he was going to be king. Right. He just ended up being king. Huh. He was a third in line and ended up being king. So now he's a warrior king. That's really cool. So immediately upon entering the, the throne, um, Leonidas was thrown into conflict. So for years, the Persians had been threatening Greece. Mm-hmm. And now the situation was at a critical point where swift action was needed. And okay. Leonidas proved to be the right man for the job. 
The goal of the Persians was the absolute subjugation of Greece. Right. They had already ruled over a number of Greek cities on the coast of Asia, and the others continued existence of Greek city-states that were free from their basically grasp were always seen as a beacon of light for those already under the rule of the Persians. So making it a dream of independence, which was unacceptable. Right. <laughs> this was not acceptable for King Xerxes. Um, so Trying to stomp them out. To crush all Grecian resistance. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only way you can rule. So he gathered to gather together a massive force consisting of over 1,200 warships. And here's a fun number here that they put in here. Let's see if I... I uh, yeah. We'll debate how accurate this is, but... And as many as 1.7 million warriors. And in stark Holy contrast shit. to the Greeks... Uh, who were badly disunited at this point, Right. of more than 100 city-states, only 31 had agreed to stand and fight against the Persians. This is kind of a movie moment here, right? Yeah. So the kings of these 31 states met in one place and swore an oath to fight the Persians and to punish any cities that weren't that went over to the Persian side. Yeah. So I can imagine that in my head. The line was drawn. Did they have that in the 300 movie? I haven't seen it now since <laughs> I was 12. Uh, I don't think they really dived into that whole point. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it was literally just about the closer to the final battle. So he wasn't alone, but Spartans were the, like, recognized as those are the dudes, you know, yeah. in our society, th- those guys. <laughs> those guys are going to kick <laughs> their ass. Some, they're yeah. doing something. <laughs> um, so, again, they had this kind of meeting. Um, okay. And the key, the key states of Thessaly... Um, so it supported Persia. There was no active resistance to the invaders right down. Basically, all of the cities that kind of led up to Athens mm-hmm. uh, were under Athens' rule or were basically seceding to them okay. at this point. So there was no resistance all the way through till the city of Athens. Oh, wow. Um, and the Spartans had taken on the mantle of leadership in the resistance, of course. Uh, of course. Um, they're the, warriors. They're ready to fight. They're ready. Um, the city was recognized as being in a position of moral, political, and above all, military power in all of Greece. So they were a target. And then under Leonidas, of course, the Spartans were absolutely determined to fight and conquer <laughs> um, or yeah. die. Yeah. Um, the alliance with the other resisting states allowed, um, allowed to put around 60,000 men into the field. And King Xerxes of Persia believed that this, his overwhelming superiority in numbers would basically guarantee the victory. He yeah. wasn't too concerned, right? And it, it was his strategy to keep his naval fleet and his infantry close connected, closely connected. So the infantry then marched along the shore. And then the Persians even dug a canal through uh, Mount Ethos to allow the ships to stay close when, they, when the army got inland. Oh, wow. So there's a fun fact here. I want to... To add a footnote here, but the canal was a mile and a quarter long, uh, wide and a quarter long through the peninsula in northern Greece. Conceivably, conceivably one of the biggest engineering assignments of its time. It took three years to to fulfill. Right. Um, the canal was critical to his plan of evading Greece with the goal that his general, uh, Mardonius, had unsuccessfully attempted 12 years earlier. So this was like, we're doing this. I'm going to He took on succeed. a three-year project for the future of his just his basic attack plan. Right. Wow. Um, and so Mardinus's fleet was destroyed in a storm while sailing around the tip of the peninsula, and Xerxes wanted to avoid a similar setback by building the canal. 
Okay. Um, he devoted, like I said, three years between 4083 BC and 480 BC mm-hmm. for excavation of a canal across the narrowest part of the, of the peninsula and remnants of the canal, which runs in a southerly direction of the village of Nierota, can still be seen by the careful observer. That's really cool. I, I specifically started to look up. I'm like, can I go to this canal? I know, now? me too. I was like, like you, crazy. you need to Google Earth this. Yeah, just you, take a you look. can. Um, but by August 18th, 480, 480 Xerxes had overrun and Thessaly, um, and his army now had arrived at the place called Thermopylae, um, a narrow pass between Thessaly and the ocean. And Leonidas knew here he could never defeat the entire Persian army on the open field. But he believed if he could inflict a devastating blow of such magnitude that it decimated a portion of that army, that the psychological damage would be so bad that the Persians would withdraw. That mm. was his, his strategy. Not to win, but have them withdraw. Right. Yes. And not everyone was convinced that this strategy would work at the time. Um, undermining Leonidas' strategy was the Oracle of Apollo at Delphi who is considered to have a direct line to the gods of Greece. Now, here's a little... Ah. Fo- I have another footnote here, because this is no, this intrigued I, I, me. I love that part of history where there's, like, prophets and people that they believed could see the future and read. Uh, that's the craziest shit. And that's what, like, kings would go to them mm-hmm. and make decisions based on these people. Like, how much power do they have? Well, like these people here... So, th- this was a, one lady, or is like, a cult of ladies. I don't know how it worked, but... Mm-hmm. Basically, Delphi uh, was an important ancient Greek religious sanctuary sacred to the god Apollo, located mm-hmm. on Mount uh, Parnassus, Parnassus um, near the Gulf of Corinth. The sanctuary was home to the famous oracle of Apollo, which gave cryptic predictions and guidance to both city-states and individuals. The site was settled in the late Bronze Age, um, 1500 to 1100 um, BCE, but took on its religious significance from around 800 BCE. Um, the original name is, of the sanctuary was Pytho, after the snake which Apollo b- was believed to have killed there. Mm. Um, and then Delphi was also considered the center of the world for, in Greek mythology, the Zeus released two eagles, one at the east and one at the west, and Delphi was the point at which they met after encircling the world. Oh. So, so a very sacred place to them. Yeah. The fact was represented by um, um, Phallus, a novel, um, which is a dome-shaped stone which stood outside of Apollo's temple and which also marked the spot where Apollo killed the python. Okay. Um, this is, again, just some of the, the mythology what they believe, here. right. Yeah, and the oracle of Apollo at Delphi was famed throughout the Greek world and even beyond that. Um, and the oracle, the Pythia, or priestesses, would answer questions put to her by visitors wishing to be guided in their future actions. Right. And the whole process was a lengthy one. This is kind of interesting. So usually it would take up a whole day and only carried out on specific days of the Mm -hmm. year. So first the priestesses would perform various actions of purification, such as washing in the nearby spring, burning laurel leaves, um, drinking holy water. And then next an animal, usually a goat, was sacrificed. Um, And the party seeking advice would then offer a pelonus, a sort of pie. <laughs> huh. Hey, here's a nice pie. Yeah, Along with all this stuff. Tell me how I'm going to die, please. <laughs> I, I think here's if, a treat. If I was a priestess, I'd be like, hey. Give me food. Give, throw, give, a, throw a pie in there every time. <laughs> every time. I want to be guaranteed a pie. They're just like, they're sitting together. They're in a room and they're just writing. They were like, dude, what would be great? You know, honestly, like what if they just brought us like some treats like every time they had to come in? Like, Stipulation. That's have to. Like that sounds great. <laughs> It's not a bad idea. Actually. It's not. Bring me cheesecake. 
what? That, how does that have to do with telling the future? Just trust me. Yeah, <laughs> I got so, you. That's kind of the backstory there. Okay, uh, a brief backstory, but there's so much in there yeah. that you could probably not, dissect. Not to tangent on that. Yeah, but that's a very interesting thing. Again, throughout all of history, what a dangerous profession. What a da- like for you. Again, again, it, to predict something. <laughs> yes, Nostradamus. <laughs> I don't want to like again from what people believe. Me personally. I don't believe that they had those abilities to do so, but they had the right things happen and some sort of personality or campaign or mystery that helped them with these kind of things. I would people assume. People believe them somehow. You yeah. Know? And I mean, like, and people, again, like, uh, it might be something too. Like I said, it was built, it was kind of predicated on the gods right. that they believed in so heavily. So if something was just maybe you were born. Maybe it started going, right? And this kind of mythology started happening where these ladies could predict the future. And you just were born into it and you just were told this is what it was. You kind of oh. just go with it. You know, yeah. you don't you don't really question, I, I would assume, right? So if they're like, well, the gods, this is what happened here. This is why it's special. This is why they can have a direct line to the gods. Right. Kind of just go with it, I guess. Huh. Maybe it's just like a cultural thing where it's like right now, it's like calling a therapist, right? It's to help you. No, but we agreed upon it. Sure. This person has a, a a a background in it. This person is who you go to. Sure. Yeah. No. It's a very interesting. Like this concept. is who that person is to them. But I just imagine like that's uh, maybe a bad reference. But no. But like I, I imagine like certain predictions being wrong and like devastatingly wrong enough where people want to put into question if they do have this power. Like I'm just imagining like. Your life is always dependent on the words that you say every single day. That's us as podcasters. No, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but we're not trying to tell you your future. You know what I mean? We're trying to tell you your We're past. not trying to tell the king that you should attack this person or not attack this person based on how we, you're feeling that day, whether you had be. your tea. You when, know? You, when you tell the, the history of something, you're telling the future of something as well, Jake. I believe in I, that. I don't know, man. I believe in I that. I don't know. I just think that's a very dangerous profession. And very interesting, and that whole world interests me. Yeah, of like how that went on, and uh, again, my mind is open. Yeah, mind is open to possibilities, and uh, I don't know what everybody else believes, but it's just very—it's a very interesting world to me that I would love to deep dive into, just because of that. Like, I feel like it'd be such on the edge. Yeah, such a profession on the edge. Well, that's why I—I uh, I had to take the time to go into that because it was a footnote in the reading. But I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta—I gotta try to. Uh, dredge up some actual information. Yeah. What is this? How did it happen? So that's some good information for anybody who's looking. All right, I'm Jeffrey. In. So uh, what's the prophecy? Because I know she has to yeah. predict something pretty major, right? Yep. So Tell Leonidas. When the Spartans had approached the oracle after um, and asking whether they should resist the Persians, the reply that came back was in quotes. This is from them, right? Hell this is supposedly what was written. <laughs> in quotes. Um, Either the king of Sparta must die for the Spartans themselves must be conquered, for nothing can stand before the might of the Persian king. Now, hold on here. Oh. They were right. Yeah. They were right. Well, I mean... They didn't... In the, so, we, I'll just say it now. But take the odds. We'll just say, we'll just say it now. They were right. Because only after Leonidas died did that rally them to defeat them in the next coming years. For sure. If he wouldn't, the Spartan king didn't die, Jacob. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But yes, yes, <laughs> everyone, correct. <laughs> everyone kind of probably has the idea that this, this guy's not getting out alive. If you've seen Fury 100, yeah, I, yeah. you know that he's not living. Yes, of course. But very that's a very interesting thing. But also, you play the odds. 
Like they have a you're he saying a, over a million people on one side, and you got the Spartans, and basically comes. He said, "Should we fight them?" You're like, "Uh, you're gonna die." Like that's literally what he's. They're telling them play the odds. It makes sense. Yeah, and I also think at this point too. Again, if you're the Persian Empire or Persian army, you're you're not all in one spot, right? So those mm-hmm. those amount of men he took to go through Greece, he was capturing states, leaving. I'm sure. Oh, sure. Man, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't that all he had in his army would be my assumption. But again, I could be wrong because I didn't. I don't know the details of that fact. Yeah. But that'd be my kind of like... Also, what a bold thing to say to a king. Yeah. To his face. Uh, well, yeah, you're going to die and you're going to lose. Well, Either each, one or the other. <laughs> each city-state that approached the oracle was given a premonition of doom, basically. Oh. So during this period of time... Everybody was like, nah. We're getting, we're getting told this is all bad. So still, though, Leonidas was like, I don't care. He was deterred. He was not deterred at all. Enough of this mumbo jumbo. <laughs> and every Spartan warrior with him basically would give his last breath to keep the Persians out of their beloved Sparta. So Leonidas did not want to meet the overwhelming force on the open field. So his intention was to withdraw uh, methodically to the spot where the, uh, this is going to be a funny word, Peloponnesian Peninsula joins the lands of Attica. Um, and this was a very narrow strip of land, just a mile and a half long. And here he would set his men to build a defensive wall, uh, which they would fight Xerxes behind. Okay. And the problem with this plan, though, was that it left Athens completely without any protection. Oh. So against better judgment, Leonidas agreed to take a small force of uh, people um, and engage the Persians at the nearest point of the pass. So here is where uh, the great military advantage of the Persians with the use of cavalry could be negated. So that was his thinking here. Right. Keep them off the open field. They can't use horses. They have to go through a narrow pass. That's the only way you could choke them into a point where you could possibly stop them with less. But he couldn't bring his whole people. He couldn't bring his people. Right. It would leave Athens unprotected. So Leonidas decided that 300 Spartan warriors would be selected for the deviants. (laughs) Yes. And they would be led by he himself. So this is is interesting here. So there's a question why 300 were chosen and why specifically these 300 men. Yeah. Um, and first, so 300 was a manageable number for an elite task force. That's just kind of a, a known thing there. Secondly, yeah. the figure 300 had a strong symbolic and practical overtone in Sparta. So it was fi- it was the fixed number of the regular royal body- bodyguard. Okay. Um, and the bodyguards were known as the hippies, uh, meaning cavalrymen. Though in in the face they served as in fact they served as infantrymen, um, in the dead center of a hoplite phalanx, so where the commanding king would be stationed. So basically, you want the best of the best. Yes, that's what these three hundred men were—the royal bodyguard of the king himself. Oh right? wow! And so when you're in an army uh, and you're conducting an army, you want your best dudes surrounding the you. king. Right? Yeah. So you don't want to leave him. With you know, and yeah. that number was three hundred, right? Gotcha. When they're in a normal war, that would be like you know, if it's Leonardo is standing in the battlefield and there's thousands of men out there, he's got three hundred of his dudes. I just love this. <laughs> this is such an epic fucking story. Yeah, it is. It really is, dude. Um, there's a reason why it became a movie. Yeah, but um, bring it on, come on. So, but 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 he actually added another element to picking these three hundred. So the three hundred men were especially selected in an intense competition from among the men in the 10 youngest adult citizen year classes. So age between 20 and 29, 
Mm-hmm. Leonidas's adv- uh, advanced guard of 300, however, 300, sorry, however, was to be selected with one more crucial additional criteria. Besides being brave, patriotic, and skillful, each of the chosen few must have a living son. Uh, so this oh, would ensure suicide. that a son would be in place to carry out on his father's name. Oh my God. Um, and these heirs would then constitute an elite within an elite for future generations. So bursting with pride to emulate the feet of their late fathers. So he did it with intent that they were going to die. And if they did die, these 300 kids would come back stronger. Sons would be, yeah, exactly. And there to, to enact revenge for. They would be the, the, the best battle. of the best because they would have something to be like, my father was one of the 300. You yeah, know what I mean, I am now the three hundred of the three hundred. Yeah, and <laughs> so we're not going to stand the for the Persians. Yeah, so he just and like again, like breeding more the mindset. Yeah, the mindset. Smart, man. it's crazy. But also, it symbolizes that he knew he wasn't leaving. Oh no, they knew. They knew. They knew. They went uh-huh. there knowing that they were going to die, but they were just going to take as many Persians with them. So, in addition to the three hundred Spartans, though, they did take Leonidas took around four thousand Peloponnesians, okay. around a thousand non-combatant uh, helots. Right. Um, and it was clear to the three hundred that the three hundred were to be in effect a suicide squad. Yeah. Um, the pass at Thermopylae had a flat plain in front of it, mm-hmm. and that was where the Persians were encamped. Um, the pass through the mountains to the sea was only about six feet wide at points. Oh, wow. And at points, the, the pass widened to 50 feet. And the Spartans here set about repairing an existing wall and making it a much more defendable location. Mm-hmm. So um, but that 300 selection criteria, Jeez. if you're one of those dudes, sorry, just your ages. The fact that you, you still go. Oh like, yeah. yeah, like yeah, it's like that's uh There's an even better moment, not a better moment, but there's a this it's all full of those kind of oh, like yeah. I'm the man moments. So after Xerxes Persian forces arrived mm-hmm. at this pass, um a, a three or four day delay occurred before he launched the assault. Um and it was in this pre battle pause it was reported that Xerxes sent a message to Leonidas demanding he hand over his arms and the Spartan king replied in just two words, and this is in quotes, Milan uh, Labe, which essentially means come and get them yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. Basically a fuck you. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just like, you tell your king. <laughs> and it was also during this lull before the storm that the Persian advanced uh, sent re- uh, spies. Uh, and they were report- came back and reported the strange behavior they saw among the Spartans. Yeah. Rather than being anxious or of the coming attack or pacing or really doing anything neurotic, they were prepared the Greek to die. warriors appeared to be extremely at ease, busying themselves with bathing, trading, uh, on uh, braiding one another's hair, and dancing. <laughs> uh, the Persians interpreted this as a sign of fear um, and madness. Uh. Until a, a traitorous Greek, though, until a traitorous Greek... In their midst, informed the king that the Spartans were not mad, and that what the Persian spies had seen were the actions of proud heroes preparing themselves for their final life and death struggle. Yeah, yeah. I just oh, want to pause on that because that's kind of yeah. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the Persian king here, so he first sent in the the Medes. <laughs> Can oh, you imagine? I'm just imagine his reaction. He sends out a spy. These men are braiding it, each other's hair. <laughs> Not even just that, but just even just by numbers alone, like you go send out a spy, see what we're up against, and it's like literally three hundred people. And they're dancing, just dancing in a small pass in the mountains, and they're they're like, wait, what? 
300 people? Like, wait, there has to be more, right? There has to be more well, behind think, them. Well, no, I, sir. I believe there's only 300 of them. <laughs> the one part of the story I don't understand um, is the 2,000... Um, uh, the 2,000... Um, but the other people, Polynesian people, not Polynesian people, sorry. The other people that he brought with them outside of the Helots, which I understand to be the, the people that were, of course, the, cra- the oh, yeah. slaves. The other 2,000 people that he brought, I don't know what they were. I don't huh. know. If, I don't, were they dwellers? Maybe I said that at the beginning. Um, I never, it's still in my mind, kind of a blank. Just taking care of them I while guess. they were there? Um, sorry if I'm uh, out of line there. I don't really quite. Again, this is casual history. We're talking, yeah. and I'm being honest here. <laughs> We're I don't, all learning. I yeah. don't understand what that that small frame, group, small group why of they people. Were there. Yeah, I don't. Huh. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so the the Persian king from this point first sent in the Medes, a force of about two thousand, um, and these forces proved no match for the Spartans. They wore neither helmets nor graves, and their shields were made of wicker work. Oh. Um, and in the confined spaces of the past, they were unable to take advantage of their superiority in numbers. And when the Medes f- unleashed a hail of arrows on the defenders, and the the Spartans in unison would lift their shields, forming a defensive roof over their heads. And the troops that followed them did their best they could under the circumstances, but they suffered heavy losses. <laughs> in fact, the losses were so great that on three occasions, Xerxes is said to have leapt up in he- horror from his specially constructed throne, <laughs> appalled at the carnage and slaughter of some of his best men. Wait, are you okay? Are you telling me that that part is true? I thought that maybe when the, when the real story happened, that uh, the Persian king would not be there to meet them in that small little pass. He was. He was on. I guess you know he rode with them and sat on a throne to watch. What? Conducted it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they really did, like, both kings met in that small pass. He was on a war campaign, you know? That was I, kind I mean, of I thing. guess, but, like, with that m- much of an army, you tell me that that's where all his army was going through, that small pass? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's, But he thought it was what was going on was horrific. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, again, so from behind uh, the protection of the refurbished wall, Leonidas' men resisted by fighting in relays. Um, this is a tactic that maximized the efficient output of their limited resources and en- energy. Uh, Leonidas also managed to pull off a series of feigned retreats, followed by a sudden turn and then a murderous <laughs> onslaught on their on- overconfident <laughs> and distorted pursuers. Yeah. So again, you're up there, you're fighting, and you're like, oh, we got him on the run. There's, only, there's not many people here. We got him. Got him. Bang. Yeah. You turn quickly and just... Get you for it to work multiple times too. I'm just imagining the site because I'm sure at least one of those times they're like, "Is this real? It has to be real." There's only 300 of them. This happened. The We've got time. them on the run. This yeah. is the third time. They have yeah. to be actually retreating. Yeah, here. exactly. <laughs> I'm just imagining the confusion. Yeah. Oh God, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So that was a, a tactic he used. Um, like I said, and then it basically they sustained incredibly heavy losses yeah um, and eventually towards the end of daylight Xerxes felt he had no option but to send in his royal elite royal bodyguards um the then 10,000 their so-called immortals yeah under the command of Herdenis Herdenis um and but once again the attack was to no avail and it came at the cost of serious casualties the bloodshed <laughs> that uh fulfilled the filled the narrow mountain pass was extremely overwhelming because you, you can imagine all uh, those the, bottles bodies piled piles up of quickly corpses rotting corpses mounted and flies swarmed and the stench was palpable yeah the, the battle raged into a second day and still they were unable to make a breakthrough 
By now, some 20,000 Persians had fallen to the Greek resistance, and the demoralizing effects on the remaining Persian army was extremely yeah. telling. Um, yeah, 20,000 Persians have, have fell to the swords to of the Spartans. Spears of the Spartans. Spartans. Yeah. Um, so with his anger reaching a boiling point, right? I'm assuming you're angry. Yeah. Xerxes finally received his break, um, but it was not through his military superiority at all. But it was by means of a traitor. Oh, no. Xerxes was approached by a Greek turncoat by the name of Ephelates um, from the city of Malus, who was very familiar with the paths crossing the mountain range. Mm. He told the king of another path through the mountain that would allow the Persians to bypass the Greek defense position. Um, and he offered to escort as many as 10,000 Persian troops through the path by the nightfall. What a traitor. Yep. What a traitor. <laughs> the Spartans knew of the existence. Like Leonidas knew of the existence of the route, but they didn't know that Xerxes knew about it. Right. Um, and he gave a special mi- uh, mission to members of the Royal Guard of Immortals, Xerxes did, um, and led and was led by the traitor. They set out in silence of nightfall, and they were aided by a full moon at the time. Mm. And after a climb through the mountain range up a thousand meters, they then basically easily bypassed the thousand uh, guards that were posted there by Leonardis. Um, basically, he's been blamed for this, for not posting a stronger reinforcement there along the path, uh, because by day three, when day three arrived, uh, the Persians had the Greeks outflanked. From, so from both sides yep. now? And Leonidas was now in a pincer grip. Oh, God. Caught from the rear as well as the front, it was at this point he recognized the hopelessness of the situation. Yeah. gathered. Uh, he gathered his forces together and ordered all of the troops, except for the Spartans, to make their escape. So he told everybody, go. Yeah, leave. This is it. Like, there's no way out. Yep. This is their escape, right? Their cities would need them to fight another day. Mm. So the Spartans were to make the last stand there at Thermopyle. Um, and all of them listened and went away, except for a group of 400 Thespes. Um, and when asked by the king, why why did you not go? You know, why, why aren't you going with the other people? They replied, we have stayed because the Spartans have stayed, and we would die with you. <laughs> so it's like, Epic as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So the Greek made the last stand outside the middle gate wall. Leonidas showed himself to be a true Spartan by the words, which allegedly ordered his men to take their early morning meal before their final encounter. And he said, in quotes, this evening we shall dine in Hades. Hell yeah. <laughs> shall dine in hell. Yeah. Um, which again, they do say that I think in the movie. That's which, fucking awesome. Um, so this is the end of at least this, this story. The Persian losses at the beginning of day three were reportedly heavier <laughs> heavier than those even sustained on the previous two days. The Greeks depleted, repeatedly drove the Persians back, and then inevitably, of course, the 10,000 Persian rural guard of immortals emerged from the rear. And this is where Leonidas fought and died, supposedly like a man possessed. <laughs> when his sword shattered after one too many blows, he then started using his hands and mouth to inflict inflict injury and kill men. The exact manner of his death is unrecorded, but we do know that as soon as he fell, the Persians took hold of the body and tried to drag it away. And seeing this, the Spartans leapt 
on their king and attempted to pull him back. Four times the body of Leonidas was dragged away before the remnant of the Spartan defenders got in full possession of it and formed a defensive circle around it. Oh, shit. And in this positions, with their spears and lances broken and their bodies battered and bloodied, the Spartans resorted to throwing rocks at the surrounding Persians until finally a massive hail of arrows was launched and the last Spartans were cut down. (sighs) Died defending their king. Right? Like, even the last moments were like, no. Dude. Bring it back in the circle. We're defending but you his talk body. About, but you talk, body. you talk about a king that's willing to die with you. I think, it th- by the way, I at mean, this like, point... You talk about earning the utmost respect as a warrior. Like, I, finally a king that fought like them, lived with them. Like, who who could rally that kind of troop yeah. more? Yeah. Like, as a king. How could you lead a, a team better? Like, just like that. Like, the, it makes sense that they were just like, yeah, to the death, man. We've lived with you since you were... You know what? You trained like us. You're just like every one of us, except you can just give us orders. Yeah. Like everything else is the same. He knows, yeah. He knows the lifestyle I'm living. Right. And so like what commands more respect than that? And I think at the time, by the way, too, uh, and just know, I think Leonidas was 60. No. He I was think he was. 60 I think, years old. I, I Hold on. Let me, I'll look this up and confirm this. Um, how old, do this real quick. Yeah, go old, for it. Was Leonidas... When he died, because I saw something and I could have swore. Yeah, he was 60 years old, Jake. He was not. He was. I just looked it up. Wh- holy hell. <laughs> I would expect this as a man in his prime, but holy shit. Well, he, you know, you, you live until you're 40, you know, your military service. 60 is old. Yeah. 60 is really old. Can you imagine 60, you like running? He a- should have been retired from the military in general. Yeah. Crazy. So, but I do want to mention here, this is kind of an interesting note that uh, perhaps, you know, the greatest uh, maybe legend like attributed to his legacy Mm -hmm. was shown in the effect of his treatment of his corpse by Xerxes. So after, you know, the whole thing was done, the Spartan king then decapitated his body and crucified it. Xerxes then went trying around trying to hide the true number of casualties that his men took. Oh god. He was like this man like they he cannot was, know. He was furious. He thought, you know, <laughs> cut the head off the man and then make sure he's, he's dead. dead. Yeah. Make exactly. sure he doesn't come back in the night and haunt my dreams. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Yeah, that he isn't faking death. Uh-huh. Um so, so that much of a trouble. Right. But the great defense of trying to hide this could not be hidden from history. I thought that was a good little tagline. The death of Leonidas and his fellow Spartans lifted Greek morale in the vital period that the Spartans had helped, um, that had helped uh, held up the Persian advance, gave time for the Athenian Greek fleet to wreak havoc on the Persian navy, which then eventually led to the defeat of the Persians. Wow! So he single-handedly this literally saved their empire. Yeah. Yeah. That's the story of Leonidas. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So it gave him enough time. Okay. Uh, did they talk about, obviously, someone got away, right? Or I guess the men they sent back. Mm-hmm. The men they sent back. That's where they learned the story from. But they don't know how he really died, do they? Like, where are these accounts coming from? Uh, good point. I don't know. but it could... Those people leaving probably made up great grandeur tales of, like, True. we left the 300 the men to with... fight. The, fight, the fighting with f- teeth and, and fist and nails might be, maybe that's the, the well, exaggerating like, part. <laughs> I'm just interested to know, like, I mean, it, it could have been passed down through the Persian army. Again, like all this stuff like that, the stories of what really happened. 
But um, it's true. I don't. That's know. just a very interesting thought that uh, like because he sent everybody away, and so like your last image of him is seeing him with three hundred men surrounded plus 400 thebeebs right the seeds right but they said to go away <laughs> the word and like that's it and you wave and you can only imagine that like when you hear you know i don't know like, maybe i would i would I, I that's a good point maybe one of them ran away I don't is know. it is it again like i hate to say this because i love the freaking is it story just the history book is it, story is it propaganda is it again did they go back and be like hey these men did this 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 and this <laughs> To try know. to help boost I, morale, who to knows? let them know, like who knows how they died? Did they? I mean, maybe one of the immortals or one of the other Persian Empire people, you know, who were there. Maybe you capture them eventually. And I don't know. How did I they really hear Leonidas say? Maybe he was there. We dine in hell. You know, what? we dine in Hades. Well, that was before, right? Oh no, it wasn't. That was before the last Is meal. That You're the right. morning. Yeah, that was morning. So I'm, I'm just very interested to see. Like, there could have been very possibly like some escapees and like that brought that. Yeah, but just very interesting to find that out. Hopefully, Who it's just eyewitness, witnessed. and uh, yeah, you know, hopefully it's eyewitness and uh, yeah, part of the, the history. I'm trying to tell history. Maybe, maybe that's <laughs> all wrong, but that's the history I read from in wow. quotes facts. You know, wow. so that was the story. That's awesome the podcast. Story. You know, that's incredible. Thanks. Um, yeah, I a, love that. That was such a shock to me too. I didn't. I didn't realize. Um, I was expecting, what would you say at the last podcast that we did, that I thought you were going to do one of those. Quetzalcoatl? Yes. Yeah. I keep saying it. I'm sorry. I know. You're okay. <laughs> I just want to do it justice, and I didn't have time to do it justice I, yet. I completely hear you. Um, Dang. That's I feel such like a I good story. I love that. I love that that was a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because hey. there's, there's so much time that's happened. Um, and relative, obviously, to everything else, humans haven't been around for that long. But you have to imagine these movie-like moments have to have happened at least once or twice, like in history, sprinkled throughout. So I, I do like to believe that that, like that, really did happen. Yeah, like it happened. How exactly it happened? Like how it happened? <laughs> how how it was reported to happen? Uh, the fact that that single-handedly that decision is what basically saved the empire later. Well, we do know that. We do know that it did hold up the empire, and that during that campaign of them defending it, led them to be able to wreak havoc on the the naval. Which fleet, weakened them, which was it. vital to yeah. their, the whole reason they built the canal, you know. Right. So we do know that, like, if we're talking facts of it actually affecting stuff, oh, it affected. Oh yeah, it did it. And, and they, then the sons. Yeah, and then also, if you're a Persian, it, like, if you're one of those people who are fighting, right, and you're on the opposite side, and you're the guy who lived through seeing ten thousand die the first time, twenty thousand die the second. They day, don't need that another, many men to kill you. Yeah, like but you, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, that's you, what goes through your head, right? Like, we have a lot of people. But that no longer becomes a, well, this is inevitable. It becomes, holy crap, but, like, for every one of them, you know, a hundred of us die. Like, how many people do they really need to And to how many people back? do they really have, you know? Yeah. Because he sent a smaller force, again, remember, to to do this. Right. Uh, because he didn't want to leave Athens unprotected. Um, right. So, yeah. Crazy. I would definitely, I'd definitely put some mental, like, if I was on the other end of that, it would put a little mental note of, like, okay. Oh, for sure. Noted. For sure. Like, holy smokes. I want to sit in the back These guys are of insane. This. <laughs> I want to get in the back of this rank. I don't know. Bow and arrow I don't want to be, yeah. Bow and arrow men. Stand I would back. suddenly pick up the bow and arrow. <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? No, I'm going to be the best. I don't want to be the front lines guy. Let me be a bow and arrow guy. Yeah, for sure. I'll be an archer. I'll stand way in the back. Honestly, if I was to be, in the, I'm not big enough to be a warrior. You know, <laughs> I would. There's you a don't reason. say that, Jeffrey. If you were trained 
from seven years old, you know? Well, I shoot bow and arrow, or I did. Yeah. I have you two a bit of compound bow bows, you know? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I could I could be that. <laughs> oh, man. I think about that sometimes. All I know is that if I saw that happening, like, ahead of me, and I was, like, in the back line getting moved up, yeah, I would be terrified. Yeah. I'd be terrified because, like, if they could take on that many men, who knows what they're capable of. And Well, the actualization, like, the actual visualization, which, again... It's hard to see, I feel like, even in movies and different, mm-hmm. like, reenactment, reenactments. Like, to, the number of 20,000 men, 10,000 men yeah. dying, not just in a certain spot, like, dying Actually in, a, in a small area. Like, those bodies are there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They died and they're on the ground, whether they move them back or however they do that systematically. I don't know. Yeah. But that visual visualization of that. Of just ten thousand dead people in a of one small actually area. happening, like not just a, a story that you can kind of again. It's like a glass wall. You kind of think of it through right. to visualize that in front of me. I don't know. I can't do that because I've can't never either. seen anything like that, that. Yeah. So I don't have anything to actually compare it to. That is very true. But I don't think anybody, and like again, less people like people who've been on the front lines of actual wars currently. Like I don't know for us normal folk. I don't, it's hard to you know visualize just, it outside of movies. Yeah, just numbers too. Just like the the sheer amount of numbers, and it's especially talking about like, you know, you hear about those casualties, and that's an insane number. It's a and number, it's hard, and it's hard to imagine. But then you try to imagine it in a small space, individual like people. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about like clumping all that together, ten thousand, twenty thousand people into a very small, 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 small area. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sure they had to be climbing bodies at the by the end. Yeah, I, think I mean, that, they had to be the army had to be climbing bodies to get to the Spartans. I feel like that would only help the Spartans. Yeah, they're basically building their own blockade. Yeah, different points <laughs> in time, like it forces them into certain areas, whether they're moving them back and around or what you do with them. Right. I don't know. I really yeah. don't. I don't know what the practices are of that either. Same. If there was like some sort of respect thing that like at, when night falls, we could gather our bodies of our men. Yeah. Um, kind of deal. I don't know if that existed or didn't exist at that time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, dang. It's just hard to put those numbers into perspective. That's the story of Leonidas, though. That's awesome. One man, <laughs> one mission. Epic. Sparta. I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch 300 again now. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate the time and I hope you enjoyed to learn something from today. Um, I try to go a little bit more in depth than what you might see in 300. Yeah. It was a story that I wanted to get to the bottom of what was real and what wasn't. Right. So to come upon the story and it'd be like, oh, this is what really happened. Um, again, some of it is legend that you've heard or, or seen. So this is an interesting one to take on, but Heck I hope yeah. you guys liked it. This is awesome. Um, if you didn't, that's okay. We have others. <laughs> <laughs> go listen to our other ones. You'll like all the rest. Hopefully there's other, another subject matter that might catch your attention. Um, we're trying to. We're kind of spotty, which I like. We're what not so, like we'll get it. We have a few uh, World War Two ones. We have a, a city of Atlantis. We have a few like yeah. like uh, ancient Egypt. We don't have. We have a few character dives. Quite a few character dives. That's what like. makes it interesting. Yeah, it's like you want to jump all over the place. It's more about at this point where we're having fun, like exploring subjects that we think about, like some of the major ones that are all over the place. That's just how I think. Mm-hmm. When I think of history, I see the scattering of it. Like you know. Yeah, like that. Like I think of Atlantis. I think of all the small little things that I've heard about, like treasure hunts, like real treasure hunts in history. Yeah, uh, I'm not yeah. linear, focused on one subject, matter. right? Yeah, but that I think that's sense. what's entertaining. I love yeah. that. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, 
I will see you on the next 5-Minute History, people. That's right. This Wednesday. This Wednesday or Thursday. Or We've Thursday. had some uh, time frame issues, but it's no big deal. Yeah. Wednesday or Thursday. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening. If you guys like what you hear, make sure to give us a rating and review. You can find us on social media at Casual X History. That's right. Give us a, uh, a suggestion of what you want to hear. We're literally always open. We did Genghis Khan because of a suggestion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so whatever you want to hear, we'll uh, we'll do, to be honest with you. That's so, right. So just uh, go on there and uh, send a message to me, and I will definitely relay, relay that, and we can do it. Perfect. All right. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks All for right. listening. Thank you.